For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and Trello, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, Cloud Accounting World, I did say backup QuickBooks Online company data. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Rewind, later in the episode. This is, like, the, we're, we're, what are we doing? What, like, <laughs> why are we not just putting the podcast into, like, 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 this is, we should just shut this whole thing down and retire. This is ridiculous. I, like, and, and the vast majority of the top videos in each of those hashtags, accountant and accountants of TikTok, is people posting about their experiences making money from OnlyFans, creating fetish content, working at a strip club, or doing sex work. <laughs> so, if you thought the accounting profession had a image problem it does <laughs> you know <laughs> today is february 28th 2021 welcome to the cloud accounting podcast i'm blake oliver and i'm david leary blake it was so good to see you yesterday in person face to face it's been a year at least we sat outside on the patio you had a bloody mary i had what did I have? I think you had a mimosa thing and then you had a coffee. I had a mimosa and then I made the mistake of ordering coffee at a brewery. I think it was like uh, <laughs> Keurig coffee. I'm pretty sure. But it was it was great to see you. And we had a lot of fun hanging out and prepping for the show. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. It was beautiful weather out in Phoenix I mean, yep. this weekend. So it was uh, yeah, a good time to catch up. It was kind of fun to um, just like see somebody face to face. Yeah. I'm actually, now that we're sitting down to record tonight... It almost feels like surreal. Like, did that really happen yesterday or not? I, I, now you're making me question my reality. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, we all spend so much time on social media. It can get blurry, right? You forget when you said something to somebody, whether you saw something that somebody posted or if they told you about it. And if you're on TikTok, things get really confusing as an accountant. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, David, but accountancy has a problem. The accounting profession has a big problem when it comes to TikTok with our identity because it's been stolen. So, so just to back up, so two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had an episode where you were very adamant about, hey, there's lots of crappy tax advice on TikTok. Accountants, get on TikTok and try to like put correct tax advice out there. Right. Because there's all these- So you were encouraging accountants to get on TikTok. Yeah. There's all these people who don't know anything spouting off incorrect tax advice, like, like horrible stuff. Like if you start an S corporation, you don't pay any taxes, stuff like that. So I said, Yeah. Accountants, we need to get on TikTok and correct this misinformation. What I did not know and what I did not realize is that there's already a definition of accountant on TikTok. There was an article on Insider, formerly Business Insider, on insider.com. And the title, I just have to read the title for you. This is about TikTok and accountants. The, the, The headline is, how the word accountant became synonymous with sex workers, strippers, and OnlyFans creators on TikTok. Now, of course, I saw this and I mean, this is like red meat for me. I just, I had to read this. I, I thought this can't be real. Like, what is this? Did somebody, is somebody pranking me? But no, they aren't. This is based on an, an actual meme that has taken over TikTok and given birth to a couple of hashtags. And, and, and well, maybe I should just play the original video for you. Would that, that might help. So, This is a TikTok video. They're all short videos 
on TikTok. It's a short video song by a guy named Rocky Patera, who released this, posted this in 2020, like I think in the fall sometime. And he's like an actor or something, right? He's not even an accountant. He's an actor. And he got tired of telling people what he did for a living because he's a struggling actor. And that's always an awkward conversation. So he just wanted to ah. have a way to tell people what he does for a living. So, so, so he thought, what is the most respectable profession I could pretend I have to impress people? What, well, it's, it's not quite that. Uh, l- let me play the song okay. for you and then you'll, you'll hear. I'm a struggling actor, but if I'm asked by a stranger what I do, I usually end up telling a lie because there's too much to get through. I don't want to go through the motions of saying that auditions are a full-time job. I'd rather smile and simply state that I have a full-time job as an accountant. As an accountant. Nobody asks you questions when you say you're an accountant. What do you do? I'm an accountant. Where do you work? At a place where accountants work. Do you like your job? Yes, I like my job. And my job is an accountant. So that went viral. I, I remember okay. seeing this. I saw this two, three months ago. Yeah. I remember seeing this. And, and so it kind of made its way around. I think some people reposted it on, on Twitter. And that's where I saw it because I'm not really on, on TikTok. You know, I, I saw it. I laughed. And I thought, oh, that's funny. Well, this thing went viral. So now people have started referring to themselves as accountants. Like listing that as their job description, or <laughs> you know, in on on TikTok, and it's it's when you don't want to say what you really do for a living. So if you are working as a stripper or a sex worker, or you're selling nude pics, or you're on, a podcaster, <laughs> you're a podcaster. Yeah, so it's like a joke. It's a you know inside joke there. And you might not think this is big, but then I saw the stat in this article. At the bottom, it's like buried at the very bottom, and the number is amazing. As of late February, hashtag accountant had over 645 million cumulative views, and hashtag accountants of TikTok had over 68.7 million. This and is like, the, we're, we're, what are we doing? What, like, <laughs> why are we not just putting the podcast on TikTok? Like, like, like this is, like, we should just shut this whole thing down and retire. This is ridiculous. Uh, like, and the vast majority of the top videos in each of those hashtags, accountant and accountants of TikTok, is people posting about their experiences making money from OnlyFans, creating fetish content, working at a strip club, or doing sex work. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you thought the accounting profession had a image problem, it does. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's amazing, right? So, anyway, makes me laugh, but it also makes me think that maybe. This would be a good time for the AICPA to put a little bit of its budget into uh, ads on uh, on TikTok. Maybe take advantage of this hashtag being so popular. And Get so, some what advice of, in there? And one of the videos here is, is it looks like a well down female. She has a video and it says, "When you've made one hundred fifty thousand dollars off of OnlyFans in less than four months, but you don't want your family to know." And I'm assuming when I press play on this, she's going to say that she's telling her family that she's an accountant. Let's see. I haven't listened to this one yet. I have a full-time job. Oh, yeah, and it's her. As an accountant. It's her singing as an accountant. the song. So that's what people do. They lip sync so, the song. But they put text, like on TikTok, right. how you can put the other text of what you're really saying. Right. Got it. Yeah. When, <laughs> there's another woman doing the same thing, and the text is, when you've paid your rent by selling feet pics for the past six months, but no one knows, dot, dot, dot. 
And then she does the song too. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just a little uh, fun social media adventure for accounting. Now, can we reverse this? Like, could a bunch of accountants, like, when, you know, maybe tax Twitter, right? When they tweet something out now, start putting hashtag sex worker. And like, can, <laughs> can accountants hijack all the other, like, hashtags in the feeds now of the other feeds? You know, there, there's a strategy there, David. You might have something there. I'm going to hashtag it on our episode. No, please don't. Release this. Please don't. Please don't. Please <laughs> don't. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Bookstime. Save time by outsourcing your clients' bookkeeping work to Bookstime. With Bookstime, you get your own dedicated team of experienced and responsive bookkeepers that have deep expertise in cloud apps like QuickBooks, Xero, Bill.com, and many more. They follow your processes and use your systems so you don't have to change a thing. And with CPA supervision, you won't need to review their work. You'll never have to recruit, train, or manage bookkeepers again, allowing you to focus on high-margin services, client relationships, and growth. Bookstime has a special offer only to listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Sign up before the end of the tax season 2021, and you'll get $500 off your first invoice. To get started with a risk-free trial and see why leading modern accounting firms around the country rely on and love Bookstime, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash bookstime. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash B-O-O-K-S-T-I-M-E. Well, where do we go from here? Uh, from TikTok accounting to stimulus. We got stimulus. We've got the Receipt Bank rebrand to Dext. I know people have strong opinions about that. We could talk about rebrands because TransferWise rebranded too, but nobody nobody even noticed. Probably because they did it the same week as Receipt Bank, and they, nobody knows. So TransferWise is now just Wise. Wise, just Wise. That's smart. And because they're not only doing transfers, right? They're doing other. Uh, they're 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 um, uh, helping out with international banking, right? They're doing cross border payments, mm-hmm. right? And so they so they're 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 getting past just money transfers, and so it makes sense to remove the word transfer from their name. And they've got wise.com. I always wonder how much they had to pay for these four-letter domains. Receipt Bank is now dext.com, D-E-X-T. That's a big one. Uh, how, are you, how do you feel about that, David? How do you feel I, about that name? So I do not as feel as strongly as most of the Facebook discussion groups. People went really overboard on it. I, I kind of feel like... I saw somebody tweet about, or maybe I read something like, it's like data extraction, right? There's D from data and EXT from oh, extraction. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I think um, them, they themselves, it's dexterity and like next generation, like those two words, like it's accountants have to be dexterous and then next generation accountants and it's like merged right. together. The fusion um, of those two words, dexterity and next. Now, I think the sub-brands are better though. I, I do like dext prepare and dext precision the two sub-brands. So Receipt Bank's Dex Prepare, which is all the work to prepare your financials. And Dex Precision is basically the software to help you audit for errors in your financials. Right. Right. So I kind of like the sub-brands actually better than the name. And I think that the big problem is in the States. Do you remember um, AT&T got broken up? You had all the baby bells. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the same thing, the yellow pages turned into all these like micro local yellow pages with well, us west which is out here on the west coast were they in california as well i don't i don't recall they they were in like pl- tons of states they, they were way up and down the west coast and then they eventually they became quest and now i think they're called CenturyLink. but through that whole thing they had their yellow pages become dex d-e-x 
Hmm. I like a short version of the word Rolodex. So I think that in my brain, since I saw this, that's where my brain went. So there could be an issue with branding of this name a little bit and possibly North America. Um, Cause I think the yellow pages was playing up in that word decks a lot in the bit back in the day. Yeah. I actually am not against this. I, th- I think it's fine. The thing I've learned about branding in my stint in marketing is that if you've got a word that is easy to spell, that's easy to remember, that's really what matters. You can take a word and you can, you can decorate it with whatever meaning you want. And, and just think about some of the words that we use all the time that seem weird, like when the internet started, like, I don't know, the word Google, like that was ridiculous, right? <laughs> or Yahoo. And it just becomes completely normal after a while. So I remember uh, recently when Zen Payroll rebranded to Gusto, people thought that was really strange. But, but then we all got used to it. And now I think everyone likes it a lot. The, the good thing is they got a really nice short name and I never liked Receipt Bank to begin with. Like that was always like too long. Except for <laughs> they've know? applied for a bank charter. So I guess that'll be uh, Dext Bank when it when that actually Dext comes Bank. Through, yeah, maybe. Interesting. Well, and, and they've got a reason for it being called Dex, Dexterity, which is good, you know. So people will get over it. You know, it's just people don't like change, right? Especially when it's a brand they've been associated with for a long time. It's hard. And you got to do a bunch of work to change all the stuff on your website and all that. I, yeah, people, I mean, Peachtree got renamed. Everything's been renamed and rebranded. I mean, T-Sheets got renamed last week where it's completely gone. Yeah, right. right? Now it's just quick so, this time. So, so it does feel like we were in a, a bit of an era change. You know, these apps, mm-hmm. that's, these companies that are about 10 years old, you know, are rebranding. Who knows? Expensify might be the next one, right? These, these companies that are about 8 to 10 years old, there, there's a lot of transition happening right now in our space. And things we're comfortable with that are changing. Now, the only problem with Dex that I have found is that on UrbanDictionary.com, the definition of Dext is uh, the top definition is to dump or break up with someone over text or SMS, like a, a dump text. Yeah, I think at this point, I mean, if you're in the branding game or you're thinking of rebranding, you have to check Urban Dictionary before you move on <laughs> to whatever you're picking. Well, and, you know, Urban Dictionary's user contributed, so maybe they should get all the new Dext users to go and, and update the definition for them. Uh, should we move on to other app news since we're talking about apps? If, yeah, we can do that. If you don't want to go down PPP or any of that stuff, we can jump in. Well, you know, more app news. maybe we should take a PPP pause because it was basically put on pause for a lot of businesses this past week when the Biden administration announced that from February 24th through March 9th, only businesses with fewer than 20 employees would be able to apply for relief through the program. I mean, maybe that's all I need to say about it for now, because other than that, it like doesn't make a lot of sense to me because there's still a ton of money available. It doesn't look like we're going to run out of funds. Seemed a little, it seems like a little bit late. Like that's something they should have done for the first round. Yeah. And I also think because the, this is just posturing a little bit, right. For the media and, and, you know, right, oh, look right. how great we are. We're doing all this because anybody wanted to get one out. The systems are here now to handle you to get a loan through many different avenues. But remember, in the beginning, it was just the big banks. Right. And the big banks were just taking care of their sweet customers that they always had. Smaller businesses just got left out in the cold. Right. But it, now all the fintech companies have gotten in. You can get a loan from QuickBooks, Square, American Express. Everybody's doing loans. PayPal, they're all doing some sort of PPP loan ability. So it just doesn't. The hold for two weeks, I don't think is going to affect this in any way, shape, or form. Right. And the problem right now 
isn't that they can't get the loans in fast enough or approved fast enough because it's all automated. They're all doing API connections now. So the issue is actually that they tightened up the security on these loans because of all the fraud that was happening. So now I'm seeing different numbers in different places. Biz to credit is saying that at least 20% of the loans that they have made have run into problems getting approved because some piece of information won't match what's in the SBA system, like an EIN doesn't match or a name doesn't match. And clearing all those is is just taking tons of time. I don't know. I guess maybe the pause will give the SBA the opportunity to clear errors for some of the small businesses. Oh, so you're saying that this is actually, they, they need two weeks to recover from a backlog. And so they're marking it as a pause. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. To let smaller people in that they know maybe those small businesses aren't going to apply anyways because it's very confusing this time. And they're blocking small businesses on things like um, if you had a criminal background, uh, if you have student loan debt that's defaulted, right? They're blocking you as a business owner from getting the loans for numerous reasons, right? And the problem is if that data is wrong, like say you did pay that loan, but somehow they've got the wrong data or whatever, that's blocking you from getting the loan. And there's just so many loans that it's not like they can churn through these air codes. Like, So this was like the talk, the the big point during the uh, AICPA town hall recently was like just all these errors are stopping, you know, as many as a third of loans are, are getting stuck. This is what happens when you go from not having security in your process to having too, you know, too much security in your process. They can't win on this. They should have just never used the SBA to begin with. Should have just been grants. No loan. This whole loan thing was just a big mistake. The point is to get rid of the loans. Then why even have loans to begin with? Anyway, I do have one more PPP story, which is the Tax Foundation put up a really interesting and helpful chart a map of the US showing which states are taxing PPP loans. This is yet another wrinkle in the whole thing, which is that the federal government has sorted things out and is not going to be taxing those loans. The forgiveness is not taxable. The expenses are not are deductible. All that stuff is happening. But states have not universally adopted the forgiveness being non-taxable. And so it's like a, a huge mishmash. You've got a bunch of states here in orange that are uh, taxing it, and then a bunch of states that are green, not taxing it. Um, it's a it's a good chart. Check it out. Link is in the show notes, or you could just search uh, Tax Foundation PPP loans. You'll probably find that uh, chart there. And what's the vibe of that? It's because each state's um, legislature either went out of their way to pass legislation to tax or not to tax, or is it just kind of the default if they, if they don't go out of their way to say it's not taxable, it's just going to be taxable. I think that's how it works most places because loan forgiveness is generally taxable. It's income if somebody forgives you a loan. So uh, yeah, they have to go and pass a law to uh, make this work. So that's my PPP stuff. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. QuickBooks Online backups their platform, but not your client's files, leaving you exposed to failed imports, bad app integrations, or manual data entry errors that can corrupt your client's files that take you hours of work to manually restore it all, pretty much erasing all those great profit margins you have because you're using the cloud. Rewind automatically backs up your QuickBooks Online files and in a couple of clicks can restore your client's file to the way it was prior to any mishaps. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. 
By using Rewind, you can take a proactive approach to your client's data and be the trusted advisor that differentiates you from your competitors by you showing your client how Rewind safeguards your client's most important asset, their data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. Rewind, protect your data, protect your business. Do you want to talk about a little Bitcoin in the federal government this week? Yes, we could do that. I was curious, actually, if this impacted you guys at Melio or any of the other like apps that you're in touch with. Uh, maybe people didn't even notice it, but the Federal Reserve ACH system went down for almost half a day, three hours or so. When was that? That was on... That was Wednesday. Wednesday. So the the computer system that the Fed runs that handles all the money transfers between all of the U.S. banks, these, yep. these the ACH payments, it, it just stopped working. Did that affect you? It it did it did affect uh, Melio. I'm surprised we didn't hear more about payroll because usually people's payrolls are that Wednesday's the big payroll day for payrolls mm. to go out on Fridays. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually surprised we didn't see more about this. And it looks like it was repaired and fixed right away, whatever the outage was. I just thought it was funny because I think earlier this week, I think I texted you when I saw this outage. I was like, is this in response to the Yellen comment? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was funny, the timing, because on Monday, Janet Yellen, the Fed chair, uh, wait, no, she's not the Fed chair. She's the Treasury Secretary. I'm getting confused because she's held all these positions. So Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, went on CNBC and was warning about Bitcoin being a, quote, extremely inefficient, unquote, way to conduct monetary transactions and talking about like a lot of the problems that we have talked about on the show with Bitcoin and problems that I discussed with Sean Stein Smith and Shihan Chandrasekhar on the special episode we did. And so she basically repeated a lot of that stuff. And then, you know, on Wednesday, the the Fed system goes down. Well, in between, right? So she said that on Monday, <laughs> Bitcoin crashed like 17%, I think on Tuesday. Right. And then the Fed system went down. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it's just the beginning of something really bad. Uh, well, yeah. So nothing, nothing did happen, and I, you know, I mean, Bitcoin didn't keep sliding, so I guess that's good. I don't know where it's at right now, but there, there are some stories here about Bitcoin we could talk about. Um, one of my big questions about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular has been how do you value it? I never got into investing in Bitcoin. I did a little bit at the beginning and then I got out. I basically doubled my money and I stopped. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay, that would have been, you know, now I could kick myself and say, oh, you should have held, you should have held, you know, forever, right? Uh, but you just never know what's going to happen and you don't know what it's worth, which has always been my problem. Like, how do you know when to quit? How do you know when to cash out if you don't know what it's worth? You either have to say it's worth zero, which a lot of folks say, it's not worth anything. It's all pure speculation. Or you have to try to assign a value to it, a fair value somehow. And I really haven't seen a lot of good explanations for what is the fair value of Bitcoin. Should it be worth $50,000 a coin? Should it be worth 500000 as some people are claiming, that, and it just sounds crazy? Is it worth less than that? Well, Nicholas Pan... Let's see, I'm going to try to butcher his name. Nic- I'm going to try not to. Nicholas Panagurzoglu. He is a analyst at JP Morgan, and he's quoted in the Wall Street Journal 
as saying that the value of one Bitcoin could be as little as 11,000 or as much as 146,000. The low end of that range is what it currently costs in computing power to create a Bitcoin. So that's the cost theory of value, right? It should be worth at least what it costs to make it, which I mean is not necessarily true as as anyone that who has studied cost accounting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> cost accounting, which a lot of people, well, that's a controversial topic. We won't get into that, but it has its issues. So that's the low, that's the floor, he says. The high end, that 146,000 would be Bitcoin's estimated value if its market capitalization were to match that of gold. So if Bitcoin displaced gold or matched gold as a store of value, then it could be worth 146,000. So I thought I thought that was really interesting because if you're bullish about like Bitcoin taking on gold's role, which you know seems to be closest thing that it is, if there's an, you know a comparison to its digital gold, then you should probably buy it if you think it if you think it could have the market cap of gold. Uh, so that was interesting. And then one more story here about the accounting for cryptocurrency on company balance sheets. So we reported that Tesla bought a bunch of Bitcoin. And so accounting today ran a story called companies investing in crypto may be in for a rude accounting surprise, outlining basically the treatment for cryptocurrency and how it might surprise CEOs or other executives when they find out how it's treated on their balance sheet. Apparently crypto most of the time is treated as an intangible asset on the balance sheet. The, the way the value is adjusted is uh, you, don't, you don't adjust up. You don't mark to market. So if the value of Bitcoin goes up, it stays on at, at cost on your balance sheet. So let's say you bought Bitcoin at 50000 It goes up to 100000 Your executive team might be partying saying, woohoo, our results are going to be great because we invested in Bitcoin. Well, no, sorry, you don't get to recognize that gain because it's an intangible asset. Now, if Bitcoin drops and goes to 10000 or lower or something like that, guess what? you have to recognize a loss, an impairment loss on your intangible asset. So like there's only downside in the way that uh, cryptocurrency is accounted for right now. So just interesting thing that it's it's treated as an intangible asset on a balance sheet. So, so the accounting doesn't match it as an investment. Like it's, it's not like buy, if you invested in stock or a commodity or, or anything like that, right? Uh, that's all my crypto stuff. So, so just like taking a step back. So, mm-hmm. I'm I'm at Microsoft, and you know, we have to manage our eighty billion dollars cash or whatever that, that Microsoft has, right? Yeah. And you know, and and I have to do it in the safest way possible, and generally safe, right? Because it's an asset. Like we want to use it for the business. Ideally, if we want yeah. to make money, we want to use it. The, we don't make money off our business is not investing, right? Our business is to build software. Right. right, that's that's right. our business model, right? But you know, you, you want to you want to get one, two, three percent on that money over time. So, and if I am investing it in the market and I'm investing in different ways, like it's tangible. But if I buy Bitcoin, that's it. Like it's just the, whatever I paid for that day is that's it, and my balance sheet never changes. Yeah, you just you, you hold it at cost on your balance sheet, and you only write it down if it goes down. You don't write it up if it goes up. And so, so, so how do I explain this to a board? Like you might, oh, don't worry. We really have more than we have. Well, and that's that's the thing is you have to then disclose that in your financial statements and hope that people read it and understand, hey, we made a good investment here. Yeah, it's it's not treated the same way as a cash equivalent or inventory or financial instruments or anything. So let's transition this story about investing in Bitcoin 
because mm-hmm. you talked about Jack Dorsey of Square, and uh, he also founded uh, Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. And we can talk about Square had their earnings call. So let's jump into App News. Just to show the world we're in now, right now, Intuit had their Q2 um, results. And basically, there's nothing in them. It's not we're talking about on the show. So we'll move <laughs> well, on. I, I just I, Square wait, wait, had wait, their Hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to make sure, like, it's just up and to the right. Growth, right? Like that's that's why we're skipping it. Nothing, yeah, it's, nothing. it's there's not there's nothing in there. Like there's okay. nothing industry changing. Like there's nothing that I think our listeners need to know in there. Okay, but in the same week, Square released their earnings, and mm-hmm. that's there's lots to know about in Square's earnings. Well, let's let's hear about it. What's going on with Square? Let's work rewind to last week. We talked about PayPal's numbers a little bit and how PayPal wants to be a super app. And PayPal discovered that hey, it's super sticky. The people that use PayPal for Bitcoin, if they buy Bitcoin through PayPal, they're using the PayPal app five, six, seven times a day. Right. Yeah. And then they start using the other PayPal services. Well, Square's having the same discovery with their Cash App. People are using the Cash App a lot to buy. using the Cash App a lot to buy crypto. And not only that, is crypto, the revenue that Square took in from quick crypto is now half of its revenue. So half of Square's revenue, this is the company that started out as the dongle swiping credit card thing. <laughs> half of their money was people buying and selling cryptocurrency yes. on their mobile app. Wow. On their mobile okay. app. How much, how much did, did they make from that? They had $1.76 billion of Bitcoin revenue. $1.76 billion. Wow. And what, what was their, their total revenue? Was like- so the full year of 2020, the Cash App generated $4.57 billion of Bitcoin revenue. Wow. And this was up nine, nine times and 12 times a year. I'm sorry, it was up 9x. That's, that's, that's amazing. So if you think about like tying this, like the size, right? Like so Square Invoices, they have a product called Square Invoices that uh, generated 100 million in gross profit. You think about their, their dongle, you know, the, the swiping, the actual merchant service stuff, right? That was just under a billion dollars in revenue. Yes. Yeah, so, so the crypto is bigger than their, their original business line. <laughs> And, and so, so now take a step back. They committed to buying even more crypto, right? So if you're PayPal or you're Square and you're discovering that the more users you get to use your app to use for Bitcoin, the more they use your app, the more they, won't, they will try and use some of your other services on your app. Right. You have a vested interest in booing the price of Bitcoin. They want Bitcoin to keep going up. And because the more it goes up, the, the more, more people... Come the, to them. The more people buy and check in on the price and celebrate that. And so, so, do you so, think- so in 2020, 3 million okay. customers did this in 2020 on the Cash App. In January 2021, another million purchased Bitcoin for the first time. So, this is something I hadn't really thought of is that you've got these big companies that are pushing up the price of Bitcoin basically to get more users. Exactly. If Bitcoin wasn't going through the sky right now, yeah. why would people go to their cash app and try to buy some Bitcoin? They wouldn't be signing up for it. And and I and I I mean yesterday we were at lunch, right? I saw I even bought some Bitcoin through uh the Square Cash app, and they have a whole propaganda section with only good news articles about Bitcoin. Mm. And and it, the interesting thing is how they frame it. Bitcoin's not like on a tab by itself. Bitcoin is right there if you go to the uh investing. So you, have, you can choose stocks or Bitcoin. Wow. It's not like a Bitcoin wallet. It's just 
you know, they, they may as well have oil on here and orange <laughs> juice futures and right. It's just a commodity, right? They're, they're sitting to buy as, as a commodity and they're making it very easy. So I actually, yesterday when we were having a beer, I bought Bitcoin on the cash app and I bought Bitcoin through PayPal and it's just as easy as clicking like nothing. Which one had the superior experience for you? Cash app was definitely super crazy easy. Uh, PayPal, I had to like verify another email address or PIN number or something. But Cash App, there's almost nothing to do in the Cash App to do that. And now both of them, I had a balance already in both apps and I was able to do that. The interesting thing is PayPal will let you buy just a dollar at a time if you want. You can go as low as a dollar in the PayPal app Mm -hmm. at at a time. But both were much better than my experience last week with the vending machine. (laughs) That's right. That's But if you're, if you're, if, if, if you want people to use your app because it's super easy to buy Bitcoin and if Bitcoin is going through the roof, you're going to go and spend $70 million more on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So then I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, stepping back is like, what's the motivation for like uh, Tesla to do it? That I haven't figured out yet. Other than people, <laughs> if, if, if people make a big gain off of this, they're going to go and spend that money on a test, new Tesla. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe because Elon Musk has a bunch of Bitcoin himself, uh, you know, who, who knows? Okay. Well, that's really interesting uh, theory. What else should we talk about? I've got QuickBooks Online updates. So let's talk about what's new in QuickBooks Online for February 2021. Coming soon. Well, so <laughs> it's always funny when they put a coming soon into a what's new because, you know, maybe hopefully this will be <laughs> next. <laughs> hopefully this will be next it'll week. Just be in the ne- yeah, it'll be in the next one. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll be next, next month in March. I guess they were really eager to share this and it is a pretty cool feature. So uh, we might, might as well talk about it. Auto pay on recurring invoices and schedule pay on single invoices. So what this means is that when sending invoices through QuickBooks, you can now offer a client or a customer the option to set up automatic payments for future dates. If it's a recurring invoice, then the customer can choose to auto pay as that invoice recurs. So you could set up a monthly invoice, send it to your customer. They can click a button that says auto pay X dollars every month. Pretty awesome. And then for single invoices with online payments enabled, the customer can choose to, instead of paying immediately, pay on a specific future date. It has to be on or before the due date that you have set, but then they can choose when they want it to happen at that time. So they don't you know, click onto the invoice and then say, oh, it's not due yet. I'll, I'll do it later. And then they forget about it. This way they can just go ahead and schedule it. So I, I, I thought those are really neat features. Now, what else is going on? Some smaller things, improvements to the cash flow center in QuickBooks Cash. So you can see credit card and loan balances in the cash flow center for a more accurate snapshot of your business finances. They're trying to make it a you know place where you can see all of your money in one place, which as we have discussed, David, is a holy grail of banking. I, I just want to be able to see all of my stuff in one place. So maybe QuickBooks can can make that happen. Especially on the per, per I think it's probably possible on the business side, but personal finances is it's really Just hard. Um, mobile receipt capture. You can now do that from the mobile app. You can match receipts to transactions on the mobile app. They've changed some terminology. Instead of master admin, it's now primary admin. That was actually a diversity and equity and inclusion priority thing. So, I get, you know, that the, the term master is being replaced in a lot of apps now to primary because of the connotation of that. And that's, that's the news for QuickBooks. Uh, small news about Venmo, if I'm going to jump into that. So Venmo historically is peer-to-peer, person-to-person. It was never business. 
Right. right. But they have been slowly rolling out to businesses. We talked about this in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And about 150,000 businesses have already signed up a quote-unquote business profile, but you have to go out of your way to do it. Now, if you're in Venmo, you can just tap your profile picture on the icon menu and just sign up for a business profile. So this is probably going to explode the number of businesses using Venmo with a business account. Yeah, do you have any idea which of these apps is more popular? Because Venmo was like the original P2P payment app. That was the one everybody, at least everybody in my world started using. PayPal first. was. Then right. PayPal was gigantic way before. Then PayPal bought Venmo. So it's now you just right. turn it all. But like PayPal was bigger on desktop. It, it, you know, when you like bought stuff on eBay and all that, like their mobile app to like, if I just want to pay you 20 bucks for lunch, it was Venmo was the way that people. Yes. I, I think from like the, the everyday, like yeah. let's split a bill at the restaurant. Nobody was ripping out their phones to use to use PayPal to do that. Now you can do that with PayPal, right? And now right. Zelle's big and all, all these peer-to-peer platforms are super, super big. Oh, yeah, I wonder how big like Venmo is compared to Square Cash because those two are like the battling it out, I feel like. It's pr- probably very fragmented. Yeah, considering how big Venmo is and was, it's amazing how big Square Cash is. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. Do you have a client that has outgrown QuickBooks or Xero? Or do you have a client that is still on QuickBooks Desktop Enterprise Edition because all the current cloud accounting offerings lack the depth of features and controls that your clients need? Or maybe you have a client with legacy desktop ERP system and they are ready to move to the cloud. Let me introduce you to Odoo. Odoo is a highly customizable cloud ERP system with everything your clients need, including dozens of built-in app modules and thousands of third-party apps. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. So we mentioned QuickBooks. Can't talk about QuickBooks updates with also without also mentioning zero. Few new things from Zero in March. This just came out five hours ago. So breaking news. One that stuck out to me is you can now block invoices that exceed a credit limit. You can assign a credit limit to a particular contact saying, I am not going to invoice above this amount. You're gonna have to pay me and before you I give you more credit. And uh, so if somebody in your business goes to create an invoice and their credit limit is exceeded, it will block that invoice from being sending or being sent or approved the idea being doesn't that, that go against the thing they just announced last week where they're going to have the buy now pay later <laughs> so that if you send an invoice somebody could split the payment up over four payments yeah i don't know maybe you'll have to have a workaround for that they've also released an advisor directory so um well the advisor directory is already there they've released a matchmaking tool in the advisor directory so now Zero users can go to the advisor directory, fill out a survey that then will recommend to them three advisors that fit their needs. So this is going beyond just location. It's going to take into account industry size and business type. And I guess they partnered with Salesforce to do this. And it's different. The one that I think they're doing in the States is different than the one they just rolled out in Canada. Okay. They're, they're similar, but they're different. It's you're filling out a little bit more of an interview versus just searching and getting a page 
of results and then picking two or three to contact. Mm-hmm. It, it's almost like it's almost like a pre-screening a little bit before you get to a cl- um, an account or bookkeeper. For the U.S., Zero has improved reporting. They've created common PNL reports in just one click. So you can basically click into your income statement slash PNL, and you can get current financial year, year to date, month to date, current and previous three months, all of that without having to then tweak the report. It's making it smoother, I think, to get get going right away without having to customize a bunch of stuff. Uh, so that's zero. And last one I got is FreshBooks, the sort of quiet giant of cloud accounting in North America with millions of users right behind. They, I think, do they say they're the biggest or right behind QuickBooks? I think they, they, they claim to be the number two uh, accounting software, cloud accounting package in the United States. In the United States. North America. Yeah. So F- FreshBooks added general ledger capabilities and and double entry accounting uh, not too long ago. And so they've been pushing into this world of zero and QuickBooks. Uh, you can now do an accounts payable aging report, standard stuff that you would take for granted in other apps. They're building it now into, into FreshBooks. You can use credits to track overpayments, refunds, and discounts. You can run a credit balance report now to see credit details for clients. Clients can now pay all outstanding invoices with one transaction, so they don't have to pay them individually. They can pay them all at one time. And there is now a project profitability summary report. And this was something that FreshBooks was always really good at, was tracking time onto projects. Uh, and, And now they're expanding that in terms of showing you which projects are making you money if you're if you're tracking time and and checking your costs against that. I, I think uh this is the most exciting app news I saw this week. And it was not from my, who someone I'd expect from. So ADP launched a new payroll app called Roll. R-O-L-L. R-O-L-L. Okay. ADP. So it's, it's called Roll by ADP. Roll trademarked by ADP rates reserved, right? It's kind of funny <laughs> to see it like written out this way. Right? Um, and what it is, it is just a chat app. So I could say, pay Blake $25 an hour for 15 hours. And that's what I write in the chat app. And it cuts you the paycheck. Really? That's the gist of it. It's a conversational chat bot type experience to run payroll. Okay, interesting. And it's a it's a standalone product, which I was really kind of surprised about because it feels well, for starters, like you'd almost assume this would have been a startup separately of ADP. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're going to reinvent the way payroll is done, and we're going to do it all through a, a bot, and it's all going to be uh, a text messaging, right, to run payroll. So the fact that ADP is kind of doing this first, I've never seen anybody else do this, is pretty impressive. I'm surprised they just don't wrap this on top of their other payroll offerings. Instead, they spun up as a whole new standalone offering. And so it's available to all U.S. small business owners. Uh, I think it's really geared towards smaller, simpler payrolls, obviously. Wait, so this is a separate payroll service by ADP? So That's what it looks like. It's another service, payroll service by ADP. And it's all chat-based? All chat-based. Wow. It's $17 a month and then $5 per employee. Huh. Yeah, if you go to rollbyadp.com. Yeah, rollbyadp.com. I got to check this out. Well, the pricing's certainly good. It's they're, they're, it looks like they're com- going up against Gusto. Yeah, Gusto on right? some of that, 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 yeah. that lower end, yeah, of the market. But it feels like wouldn't this be great just to have in any of the payroll parts? Because they, they also have the payroll uh, run. I thought run was their coming down market version of payroll. Well, I mean, down market for ADP can be pretty darn big, right? So I think okay. run, run is like, I mean, you can 
you can do some pretty hefty payrolls with run even. So maybe this is like below that. I like the branding. It's nice. Nice and clean. Yeah, you would have never if 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 the ADP logo was not on this website and there wasn't a pre- if I didn't see an article about it, you would never know that this is an ADP product. Mm-hmm. So are these like real people that are in the chat? Real payroll agents or is it AI? Like uh, it looks like it's people. AI AI backed app is smarter um, for issuing reminders. Yeah, it's 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 not really clear. Right? Hmm. And then at some level, like, is this just like how all payroll services used to be? All you've done is replace the fax machine, which used to fax in the timesheets, right? To <laughs> yeah. ADP, with a web-based interface to now it's a chat-based interface, but it's all the same thing happening on the back end, right? Like you're, it's not like payroll is being reinvented. You're just reinventing the way the small business owner is giving you the information needed to cut the paycheck. Yeah. I mean, making chat the primary interface is pretty cool. Uh, because like that's, they just want to be able to text you. Like when a small business owner wanted to run payroll with me, when I was just freelancing, they would often just text me. And it's interesting because we've seen this with QuickBooks, right? QuickBooks has their, hey, QuickBooks product. It's chat built into QuickBooks online. And you can ask things like what was last month's income and, and those types of things. But you still have QuickBooks it's still there. You You have QuickBooks there. So it would be like if QuickBooks just tried to rule that chatbot out as its own, like, hey, this is all you need. You don't need the rest of the accounting system. Just do everything through this chatbot. Send an invoice through a chatbot. You know, pay your bills through the chatbot. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of interesting that they went sh- like such a pendulum swing yeah. away from their normal pin. They, they probably have to, so they don't get disrupted by somebody. But uh, very, very surprising uh, launch by ADP. We'll see how it goes. Really neat. And we had no clue it was coming, too. They kept it tight under wraps. Very, very tight. Neat. ADP roll. Uh, um, I've kind of a couple of other small things. So a firm is another one of those, uh, buy now, buy now, pay later apps. And apparently there's an acronym for this. It's BNPL, buy now, pay later. Wait, what's the name of, you're talking about an app. What's the name of the this app? This is an app called Affirm. Affirm. Okay. Affirm is this app. And so what's different, what they're doing now, they're one of those buy now, pay later apps that are, you know, mm-hmm. you go to a cash, uh, online store and you go to buy something, you can't afford it. You know, it's a new guitar and you're going to break it up over four payments, one of those types of apps. But now they are offering, which is, and I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Let me read the, the headline. A firm launching buy now, pay later debit card. But isn't that just a credit card? Like I don't <laughs> crash the concept of this. Well, and don't a lot of credit cards have it built in where you can select a transaction and then break it into chunks? Like I've actually seen that as like a feature of a credit card where, and, and then you don't have to pay the interest. You get to choose. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of funny. I think, I think the way that this is, so I hook a firm up to my bank account, which I have to do anyways, if I'm using a firm. Yeah. But now I, because I have the, they're going to issue me a separate debit card and I can use that debit card, I guess, in the physical world. Mm-hmm. And now I can swipe at that, 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 that debit card which is really just issuing me credit, and then it's going to dink my real bank account. <laughs> it, it's it's every all month for a payment. It's all marketing. It's all how you present it to the customer. It's the same thing. It's all just delaying payment in different ways, right? One is you pay interest on a balance. The other is you break it into you pay payments. A fee up front you, you pay a fee, however they do it. Yeah, you, know, you build yeah. it into the payments. But so now we're calling debit cards. We're making a debit card that's really a credit card, but we're going to call it a debit card. I just it, it's it's bizarre to me. I, 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 this is going to catch up. I'm sure there's some regulation where you're not allowed to call it a debit card. We'll see. Let's we'll see how that kind of goes down. <sighs> um, I'm going to skip those two. I do have some 
not app news, but I think they're really they're kind of remember I said one of my predictions was we're gonna start seeing people that aren't in our industry get into our space. Yes, that was your number one prediction for twenty twenty one. I do have a couple articles tied to that, but I don't know what else you have if you have any app news. Uh, we do we did get a voicemail, so I, I wanna make sure we get to that. Can we play the voicemail? Yeah, let's play that and then we'll jump okay, into this. Okay, great. You've got mail. Hi guys, my name's Alita and I'm from Texas. And of course I work in accounting. Just want to drop in and say I love listening to you guys and I really want to say thank you for the coverage on not having many black or women CPAs, especially in the larger firms. Uh, you guys, your honesty and, you know, not holding back on what you think or what you feel is refreshing, especially in these days. Um, keep up the good work and thank you. Thank you so much, Alita. It's really nice to hear yeah. that from you. Um, Very nice. It is nice to hear that like we can tackle controversial topics and it's positive. Like, and, and I like to do that. I mean, we love being a little controversial, right, David? Um, but I, I think it's important that we don't just skip over this stuff, which, gosh, with diversity and accounting, it's been too long. And for me, the big thing was connecting. Oh, my gosh. So not only are we not diverse, but it's impacting our talent. And we have this talent gap. So there's a direct link between the number one problem that we have as a profession, which is we can't replace the people who are retiring and we don't have enough talent. And yet here we are pushing, basically pushing a lot of people out the door because we're not inclusive. And it seems kind of obvious to me at this point, like that's what the numbers show. And um, I I don't think we can avoid it anymore as, as a profession. I think I saw there was an article I saw, um, an opinion piece that was in CPA Journal, um, and it was titled "When Will I Be Able to Breathe in Accounting?" The, I think that the big takeaway for me in this was a it was a little bit of this like DICPA, you know, in general. There's just this; it's all bark, no bite. That's just how this has always been. But but how we get to that point is it's kind of the nature of the beast of who we are, right, in this industry. So the author goes on to say, as a black accounting professional, I'm tired. You know, and then he goes on to, you white people feel tired because it's just difficult. So it's that, you know, like accountants and bookkeepers are like, let's just talk, talk religion or politics. Mm, right, yeah. So it's kind of that, that mindset is like falling into this. Like it's just, let's leave it alone. Let's just not even go there. Like, like neither side wants to deal with it. And so because of that, it's not being fixed. Right. So the author's right as a new book. It's called Counting Black and White Beans. Critical race theory in accounting. I looked it up on Amazon. It's a hundred dollars. So <laughs> because I, it's I, an academic public, yeah, it's a yeah, academic it looks like an academic publication. Now, I was really kind of thinking about this in, in general. I don't know how, and it could take twenty years for us to change the numbers in the accounting industry from a diversity perspective. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's very realistic. As an industry, you could train twenty thousand minorities to be bookkeepers. Well, because because the the it's cheaper, right? They don't have to. They don't have to take college classes. They don't have to get credits, right? It's not a five-year, seven-year journey, right? They don't have to pass the CPA exam. There's all these things that they, they, they don't have to do. But you can put spin somebody up into a bookkeeping course, teach them bookkeeping, and so you could you could you could create thousands of people to become bookkeepers, and hopefully, and some will bubble up in the accounting industry, but at least they're in the industry. Well, well, right? no. So, so I think those people are not being counted in this. So. David, when when you go to a bookkeeping conference or a conference with a lot of bookkeepers, who are the people that you see? I see a, a lot of women. 
A lot of women. That's correct. Yes. And I see, I mean, diversity is still, the bookkeeping conference is more diverse. So it was like more representative. It felt like, like there was diversity um, and, and a lot of women in, in bookkeeping, more than men. Yeah. Then you go to a CPA firm conference and it's like 80% white men. Because, you know, all the staff that are diverse in those firms, if there is any, they're all back working, <laughs> you know, they're not, they don't get to go because they're not senior level and um, to the conferences. So, like, when you look at these surveys, the one that we've been talking about a lot, which is the IMA Cal CPA survey, which found that 50% of people from diverse backgrounds feel that their firms are not inclusive and leave because of it, half leave because of the lack of inclusion. Um, that's like the accounting profession. And I think it excludes the bookkeepers is what I'm saying. So, so bookkeeping is diverse. You can just see it. I just, I, I guess I was just thinking like, like how, how do you fill the bottom as fast as possible? I guess, right. Like I, I, I well, that's not the problem. That's not, of, yeah. That, the, the problem is, so you, you, you go to a firm and you look and you see that uh, the staff are very quite diverse. Now they're not moving up into senior roles. There's a, there's a ceiling there. And why, why is that happening? We need to figure out how to fix it. <laughs> so uh, if we want to survive as a profession, because demographics in this country are changing. And so if you don't get the staff, like if you don't figure out how to promote those staff into the partner ranks, then they're just going to leave and you're not going to have anyone to run your firm. Then we have a problem with CPA firm relevance because if, if the people running CPA firms don't look like the people who are starting businesses, this is the problem. And this is why a lot of work has been leaving the CPA world. And a lot of the businesses that spring up aren't CPA firms anymore. Why would you want to be a CPA firm if you're if associated with lack of diversity and lack of forward thinkingness and all that, right? Well, the brand's changing going back to the TikTok stuff. So <laughs> the brand has changed. I mean, now apparently we're sex workers. So sex workers, uh, yeah, it's it's going real fast on that side of things. So but no, um, it's, a, it's a great voicemail and hopefully we'll continue to talk about this stuff. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's, it's bad because you don't see like, a direction or light at the end of the tunnel yeah, or how it's going to change. And that's, I think, very disturbing. So I'll cover these last couple articles and then we'll uh, call it a, a episode here. So we're talking about the companies that we didn't expect to be in our space, right? Mm-hmm. And I know I've been talking about the super apps. Well, there's a super app right in front of us that is coming soon. So Walmart announced their Q4 2020 earnings. And so Walmart super centers, think about the Walmart super app. And they're almost already there. They just don't have it all into an app. You know, they have their physical and digital shopping marketplaces, right? They have healthcare, right? So that would be in your app. Yeah. They, um, they've already worked with uh, uh, Ribbit Capital and they're providing banking services. And then even we just talked about a firm. So the buy now, get pay or buy now, pay later. They already have that in. So then what if Walmart just adds the ability for people to do peer to peer payments, which they very, very easily could do. And so Walmart could be a super app that we we didn't think about before. The other one is an article from uh, Billboard magazine. So uh, there's a company called HiFi and HiFi is launching a new service called Cashflow. And basically what they're allowing you to do as an artist, you join this service and instead of getting one big royalty check every two years or an advance, you basically hand all your money over to this company, HiFi, and HiFi cuts you a paycheck every two weeks. Oh uh, yeah, I um, to equal out, equalize it, out your uh, your revenue. And they so they take your royalties and then they take a cut of all that. Yeah, and they want to tie into the actual record company's data to get this uh, easier. 
to and, and have that that visibility into these payments. But the three major record labels declined to comment on the article. But there was a quote at the end from the um, is another business manager and he just he wanted to re- uh, remain anonymous. He said that basically the record companies send an artist a three hundred page PDF that's just full of stuff, but nothing that actually, no actual data. Right, so you think you're getting some report about your royalties, and you get this 300-page PDF, but it doesn't actually have the information you need or want in it. And so that's part of this thing too. They want to disrupt the way that's communicated down to artists, so the artists can you know actually track their money and negotiate better. You as an individual artist have like no power <laughs> to argue with the label about whether or not they're paying you properly for your royalties, right? So maybe they can basically do that on behalf of a bunch of artists. That's neat. And then the last thing I have is from Domino Pete, Domino's Pizza's earnings report. So <laughs> oh, yeah? piece from All this right. as well. And so this is going to be any of you with restaurant clients. So Domino's, they've been delivering pizzas for 60 years. They know a lot about delivering pizzas. You know, in the meantime, in the last, what, 12 months, 24 months, you know, the explosion of Uber Eats and Seamless and DoorDash and all these delivery companies that have popped up, right? And the way they work, they're basically taking 25 to 30% away from the restaurant in every sale. And so the CEO, uh, CFO of Domino's, he's questioning how, what's the real long-term play for these companies? Because Domino's, they, they've never made $1 delivering a pizza. They make their money on the pizza and they deliver it. And so they've had a huge year delivering pizzas this year because of the pandemic Huge year, but they all do it through their own app. They don't use any of these services, and so they. And the big thing is they're not. It's not the risk of just um, the money being taken away by these third party apps. It's you're losing the data about your customer as well. Right, right, right. And so I just thought it was interesting that Domino's is pointing out this obvious problem that's going to affect a lot of small restaurants. And they don't have to deal with this. They have their own app. They have their own infrastructure. You know, everything's up. But but they did make a point. They've delivered lots of pizzas for 60 years and never paid a 30% fee to get a pizza delivered. Well, I think they're right about part of this and wrong about part of it. So the part they're right about is that delivery itself has very little value and is gonna is commoditized, right? You can get delivery from anywhere practically. What is valuable is the data that these companies have about you and their ability to predict what you want and to offer you a coupon on a Friday night when they can anticipate you're about ready to get dinner. And that's what I see with some of these apps. They're doing it really well. Like DoorDash, for instance, will say, hey, want to eat in tonight? Here's a coupon for your you know, favorite spot that you haven't had in a while. And it works. So uh, that's- Do you think that- they're really working or is this going to be- the next Groupon where all small businesses are going to give it a ride for a while and then they're all going to back out of it. Well, what's the other option? It's not like they're going to build their own uh, delivery platforms, these restaurants. They have to pick one at least to use so that people can order from them. But some of them, they don't even know they're on the other ones because what they do now is well, – that was my experience, right? The, 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 somebody just goes there and pays with a credit card and says they're David picking up. Right. Yeah. It's just arbitrage. It's arbitrage, yeah, right? They don't even know they're in <laughs> the game. Yeah. It's cool. Um, and, well, and the other thing in the dominoes was just because uh, minimum wages could go up, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're going to – the way they're going to do that is to deliver less because they're going to push people for the in-store pickup or they, where they put it in the back of your trunk or whatever when you pull up. So they're going to try to deliver less going forward because of minimum wage. 
Well, David, that's all the time we got for this week. If people want to touch base with you online, where can they do that? Uh, the easiest way is probably Twitter. I'm at David Leary. Um, I should try to get on TikTok. Um, you can find me hashtag sex worker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am at Blake T. Oliver. Thanks for listening. Do connect with us. And if you want to leave us a voicemail, we always appreciate getting those. Our number is 202-695-1040. That's 202-695-1040. It goes straight to voicemail. You've got about two minutes there to record your message. So please do keep it brief. We listen to all of the messages and we will likely play it on the air. And if you prefer not to leave a voicemail, you can always leave us a review on Apple podcast right inside your uh, iPhone there. Or you, if you're an Android user, you could just go to podchaser.com, search for the cloud accounting podcast and leave a review there. Well, David, great to see you this week. Hopefully we can do it again soon and stay safe. All right, bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Looking to radically increase productivity as a QuickBooks Pro Advisor? Instead of juggling a tech stack with your practice, you can now track and manage your workflow, communicate with clients, and manage files, all in one single powerful yet amazingly simple platform, Client Hub. When you leverage Client Hub's all-in-one platform that goes across your team and your clients, magic happens. Ready to start feeling that in your firm? Start your free trial at clienthub.app today. Use promo code CAP25 to receive 25% off your first three months. We have to tell you about a new app on the QuickBooks App Store called Uncat. It has nothing to do with cats. It has everything to do with fixing uncategorized expenses. If you're still exporting spreadsheets of uncategorized expenses from QBO to send to your clients, you need to stop doing that. Uncat notifies your clients about uncategorized expenses and lets them add descriptions and receipts online. You can then assign expenses to the right accounts and everything syncs with QBO so you don't have to copy and paste anything. Uncat is fast and easy for you and your clients so everybody's happier. So ditch the spreadsheets and manual data entry and head over to uncat.com. As a Cloud Accounting Podcast listener, your first client is free. That's www.uncat.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.